This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live, day two of the podcast of I am Shannon Penrod, and I am so excited to be here with you guys. And I want to thank those of you who are here this morning and have hung through the night. And I, I really, I, I got to thank everybody because I'm sure you've noticed we've had our fair share of technical issues, but we've stayed live the entire time. Uh, sometimes it had to restart on Facebook, but we've been live on YouTube the whole time, which is amazing. And you guys have witnessed some really incredible shows. I've gotten to see little snippets of everybody uh, in between catnaps here and catnaps there. And I'm really excited about this whole day today. I'm going to be with you for the next two hours. Uh, this, this hour, I'm going to be doing a talk that I don't think, I'm pretty sure, in the 13 years that we have been doing Autism Live, I don't think I've ever done my crystal ball of autism talk on the live program. I have gone and given this talk all over the country to parents and to practitioners. It's my why story, how I got started and why this is so important to me, why I get up in the middle of the night to come and sit with you guys because it's my why story. So I'm going to be sharing that and taking any questions from you guys. And then in the next hour, I'm going to give part one of a talk uh, about things that I have learned, tips that I have learned, my top 10 tips for parents of younger children. Now, if you're watching and you've got older children and you're like, Shannon, what up with that? What happened? You know, it's not all about the younger children. Fear not because tonight, at midnight, so I guess that's technically tomorrow morning, I will give the second half of the talk, which is my top 10 tips for parents of older children, teens, or adults. The things that I think help to keep us centered, sane, and the best possible advocates for our children at whatever age they are. I keep saying to everybody, I need a new name for what do we call children when they're adult children? Because saying they're adult children, you know, I don't think anybody likes to be called uh, a child when they're adult, but it's it, they are our children always, right? Because they are our children. Uh, but we need a new term. The English language needs to poof and spit out a new term. I, every once in a while, get upset about the fact that we don't have new terms, and I will create them on my own. Uh, one that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. A little bit of housekeeping here. I want to remind you guys that we are doing a challenge during the podcast-a-thon that Dr. Doreen Grampichet and I are trying to raise money for iPads that will be for grants for iPads for Autism Care Today, which is a wonderful organization that Dr. Grampichet founded and she still heads. They've given away more than $2 million of services um, and support items for individuals that are on the autism spectrum. One of the things that I love about ACT is that it, you get to ask as the person on the spectrum or the loved one of someone on the spectrum, you get to ask for what it is that you need. Uh, the, the guidelines are that it's for care or treatment. That's a pretty wide open field that you can write in and ask for support for a support dog. You can ask for tuition to a summer camp. We've had people who have written in and said, you know, my child, 
show signs that they want to be an architect, but we need a certain computer that can do CAD and we can't afford that. Um, can we can we get help with this? Because it's about support and care. There is, uh, you know, there's a, quite a bit of paperwork that has to be filled out for a grant, but they don't disqualify anyone for income. Uh, it, it doesn't, if you've got multiple children and you're asking for multiple grants, it doesn't tell you that you can't, right? And what I also love about it is that it, it never writes a check to an individual. It's when you apply for the grant, you say, here's what we'd like, here's the vendor that we'd like to get it from. And then ACT writes the check to that vendor. So they make sure that it's really going towards the care or the treatment. It keeps it very clean and nice. And I have been in the past on the grant committee uh, where you read the letters and it breaks your heart because the need is so great and we never have enough money to, to fill all the grants. So it's very important to me and to Dr. Grand Pichet that all individuals have the right to have functional communication. And for some people on the spectrum, they're on their way to verbal, vocal communication. And for others, that may not ultimately be in the cards. We know that's a very small percentage. But for all of those individuals, we want to make sure that they have functional communication today, not not, you know, when they get to the point where they can do the utterances, right? It's important that everyone have functional communication today. So we're raising money for iPads. If we get to the, we want to raise at least $5,000. I mean, the truth is sky's the limit on this, right? Somebody wants to write a check for $100,000, woohoo, right? But uh, we want to raise at least $5,000. And if we do, Dr. Grand Pichet is going to shave my head, buzz all of this uh, Brillo pad of white. I will be bald during the last hour of the podcast-a-thon. So we encourage you. Uh, it, to go to the site. I don't know um, if we are able to put up the link right now because we've had so many problems with our computer that puts us live and it has dumped all of the things that Traven spent the last week putting in. Um, but if you are, if you want to donate, it's the, it's the butter uh, link. I don't know if you, oh, there it is. Givebutter.com slash iPad challenge. Uh, any amount, you know, if we do it a dollar at a time, we can still get there to that $5,000 thing. And hey, who doesn't want to see, I'll tell you, it's not really even so much about making my head bald as the sheer delight that Dr. Grant Pichet has that she's going to get to shave my head. I want to give that to her and I want to give people some iPads. So let's make that happen, shall we? Uh, I also want to say that during many of the first hours we were giving away discovery toys, gift cards. We're not doing that during this hour, but we have many hours coming up. Uh, once the sun comes fully up, we've got some more hours where we're going to be giving those away. So you're going to want to do that. Okay. And I'm saying good morning to Joanne. If you're writing in uh, right now, uh, good morning to you. And uh, anybody else can write in. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And uh, we love hearing your comments. So feel free to write in. So I mentioned that I'm going to be doing this crystal ball of autism talk. This has been... Uh, it's a talk that I've given so many times, probably as many times as we've done live shows. I've just never done it on the live show. So it'll become clear why we call it the crystal ball of autism. And for any of you who, you know, the story changes over the years because as we learn and grow, the story changes. But I want to start by um, making some words very clear 
and offering up, I don't know whether it's excuses, apologies or whatever, but I now identify myself as a pony, a parent of a neurodiverse individual. Now that has certainly changed over the years. It used to be, you know, it's funny because we had uh, Holly Robinson Pete on the show the first hour, and I thanked her. I always try to thank her because she was a flashlight in the dark tunnel for me. That there was a day and a time when my son had been diagnosed with autism, and I turned on the television, and there was Miss Holly on Oprah talking about autism. And one of the things that she said that so inspired me, because in the beginning, when my son was diagnosed, we we called, uh, we referred to it as that he was autistic. And I know that many people still use that term, and I have no issue with that term. But I have to tell you, for me, as a parent, referring to my child who was three as autistic, it didn't fit it just, it's like when you put on an outfit and you go, this doesn't fit and I don't know why, but words have power. And, and I know for some people that term fits and it is theirs. And I totally espouse everybody using terms that fit them. But Miss Holly was talking about the terms that we use and the terms that she was using at that time with her son. And it opened my mind to the idea that there were lots of different ways that I could term this. And over the years, I've used a lot of terms that people have not liked all the terms that I have used. So uh, I'm not going to go through all of the terms that I have used because it it gets people riled up. But I will say that always from the time that my son had the ability to say to me, yes, no. And I remember when a reporter, when he was seven, uh, was interviewing him for the local news and and they were kind of doing the intro and they said, you know, we're here with blah, blah, blah. And he is an autistic seven-year-old. And Jem at seven said, excuse me. At that time, he said, I am not autistic. I have autism. Uh, that was how, that was how he wanted to determine. And he was seven and he was saying that. We don't say that anymore, and this is a term that I, over the years, I've asked my son, what are you comfortable with? What do you think describes you? What do you think describes me? And this is where we are today. Catch me in 10 years might say something different, but right now, he is good and I am good with, I am a parent of a neurodiverse individual. Oh, and when I say it, it fits so well. And I like to say pony because it makes me feel like I have a big old ponytail. And uh, that, you know, that sounds like a really cool thing. Uh, but, But the long and the short of it is, is that I am a parent. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. It is the question that people, whenever I'm speaking about autism, it's the one that they want answered. When were you diagnosed? And they usually want to know a little bit about what he was like and how that happened. So uh, let's get into it, shall we? I didn't have my son until I was about to be 41. And he is my first and only child. I will say that my husband and I had a very catastrophic miscarriage before we got pregnant with my son. And uh, I'd waited a very long time to be a parent. I was a, I was a good aunt. You know what I'm saying? And I was a good uh, friend mom, you know, the sideline mom for so many of my friends. 
I had so many papers signed where if something happened to my friend or my relative, that I was going to be the person who would have custody of the child should anything happen to the parent. I was so many people's godparents because I love kids. I really, really do. But it didn't seem like in my life that that was something that was going to happen. And then, you know, my biological clock kind of went, and I met my husband. And uh, so... We wanted to be parents, and we knew that we were older than your average bear trying to get pregnant. But, you know, we were told that it was still a possibility, so we went for it. We were all excited with the first pregnancy and then had this catastrophic miscarriage that really took the wind out of our sails. And and at the end of the miscarriage, I was told, well, you know, you're 40 now. It's very unlikely that you're going to be able to have a pregnancy and stick. And everybody that I know that's ever had a miscarriage, we all say the same thing, that once you've had a miscarriage, there is no such thing as the happy, carefree pregnancy, the picture that I always had in my mind of pregnancy. But we did get pregnant again against all odds, and we were we were so thrilled about the idea that we were going to have this baby. And we would talk often about what we pictured parenthood to be like. And this picture, if you guys could see it if you're if you're listening instead of watching it's a picture of a woman in grass you know with the sun behind them and i always pictured exactly this but it was tall grass with yellow butterflies and and maybe we were running in slow motion with vangelis music playing you know what i'm saying i figured that that's what parenthood looked like now, I'm not saying that parenthood doesn't and can't look like that, but it's kind of one-sided, right? Because in this vision of parenthood, first of all, there's no late sleepless nights. There's no poopy diapers. There's, there's no, you know, laundry. How about bills to pay or bill collectors calling? And there is certainly no autism struggle in this picture. And I want to be clearer when I say autism struggle, because I know I have some dear friends who may be watching that are themselves on the autism spectrum. I want to be clear that a lot of times, uh, and certainly when I'm talking about it as a parent, when I talk about the struggle with autism, I am not talking about my son. Because my son is not a struggle. He's amazing. He's an amazing human being. But when your child is diagnosed with autism, you have to hit the ground running and you got to find services and you got to fight for those services because nothing comes easy. That's the struggle I'm talking about. The struggle that we all feel as parents that, you know, I want to show up for this kid and I don't want to mess it up. There's the struggle, not the individual themselves, because they are wonderful and they are our kids and we love them unconditionally. But it is a struggle to be able to support them until you can find the things that work for you. But uh, I had this image in my head so firmly that I really didn't have much of an expectation of anything else. However, there, you know, there's two sides to every coin, right? And I was over the age of 40 and the doctors were saying to me, you know, it's entirely possible that this child will, you're in the window of, as a mom, it's possible that this child could be born with Down syndrome. My mother was born with both of her feet clubfoot, meaning both of her feet were facing backwards, which is 
not a very common thing. Sometimes somebody is born with one foot that way. She had both feet that way. And we were told that that might be a recessive gene and that he might not have feet or that they might be facing backwards. So it wasn't like we didn't know that things could happen along the way, right? And uh, as we were pregnant, and imagine I, I let my hair go gray for the first time when I was pregnant because I had this saying that if you're going to make an omelet with old eggs, everything else should be as fresh as possible. And I didn't want to put any hair dye or any chemicals, didn't want to risk that, right? So I was walking around gray-haired, looking very similar to how I look now, and my husband was already gray-haired, and I had this ginormous, he was a 10-pound baby, so I had this ginormous pregnancy belly, and we, we literally would stop traffic. People would say, you know, are you pregnant? And then if we said yes, which often we did, then they wanted to know how we did it because they were older folks trying to get pregnant, too. Like, what? did you do in vitro? Did you do whatever? It's so funny how people feel comfortable with talking to you about the most personal things. So how did you get pregnant? <laughs> you know, and I would have to take great joy. And I was like, do we need to explain to you how that works? Cause I can, but mom, your mom should have told you. Uh, right. But we were so in the mindset of we wanted this baby and we were going to be prepared for absolutely anything that when people would say to us, do you know what the sex is? Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? You know, the standard response is we don't know and we don't care what as long as it's healthy. And we did not say that. When, uh, when people would say that to us, they're like, oh, you don't care as long as it's healthy, right? We would say, no, we want this baby, whoever he or she is, however they come, uh, even if they're not healthy. And that was very off-putting to some people. They're like, well, I wasn't suggesting, but that was how we had already languaged in our heads, that we wanted this baby no matter what. But again, I was totally fixing this happy, I, I, I figured I was going to have this happy little pudgy elf and that we were going to run through the tall grass together with the yellow butterflies. Uh, well, and then we had this beautiful baby. And I, I'm going to get emotional and I didn't bring my tissues out here and I should have. Uh, he was born, I had to have a scheduled C-section because I had gestational diabetes and he was a big baby. He was already over 10 pounds and they took him out a week early, but I, I was so filled with fear, but he came out, he had an APGAR of nine, nine, all the fingers and the toes were there and they were facing in the wrong direction. And my first thought was, whoo, I got away with it. I totally got away with it. Somehow I pulled this out of the hat right before my 41st birthday. And he was amazing. He was so interactive. He sang. People, I remember him being five months old and, you know, he's still in the little bouncy seat, right? And I'd be on the phone with somebody in the background. They would hear all this singing and they would go, what is that? And I'd go, that's, that's my baby. He's singing. He's Frank Sinatra over here. And they would go, I've never heard a baby at five months old. And he would just have these melodies. The first day on the planet, I had a friend who was a cantor who came to visit me in the hospital. And, you know, they burrito the babies up. And he would fight, 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 fight to get out of the burrito until he could get his hands out. And then he would, he would be doing this with his hands. And, and my friend who's a cantor and she's all also a conductor, she said, he's conducting. Uh, he is like conducting one day old, right? I kid you not. So he's always had a, a you know, a musical interest. But I, on this slide, it says, this is what it looks like when you have everything in the world. 
And that's how I felt, man. I I thought that I had it all. I we did have the poopy diapers, we did have the bills, we weren't in a in a good place financially, and it didn't matter. Because I was newly, fairly newly, we were only married about a year and a half at that point to the love of my life. And I had my pudgy little elf and he was so, like hilarious and so interactive. And look at that eye contact. That picture kills me because that eye contact, I, I look at that picture and it reminds me, okay, it wasn't always this way. And I know everybody's story is different that uh, some kiddos are uh, born in their preemies and they don't meet their milestones and then they get the autism diagnosis, right? But a lot of kids regress into autism. That's much more the common tale. And tell me if that was your story. Um, but my son regressed into autism. So he was there. He was totally communicating and speaking in full sentences, making good eye contact, learning. He was already starting to be potty trained before he regressed into autism. And the terrible thing about when somebody regresses into autism is that a lot of times it's so slow, and they've documented this now in studies, that it, it starts very minute and it just it's like the chasm gets bigger and bigger. And this is part of why we talk so much about early intervention and about being able to catch it earlier. Because if you can catch it as the regression is starting, then you don't have as far to catch up on. Right. And I, I listen, I mourn that we didn't see it earlier. And that's not even the whole truth about it, because the truth is, and this is for a lot of people, the story as the main caregiver, the person who spent the most time with him, I saw what was happening and I was panicked about it. Right. But, um, one of the things we lived in a very small condo, he didn't even have his own bedroom until he was like seven years old, but we were in this, and there was a little closet area where we had this pull out desk where I would sit and write. And my pudgy little elf would come in on a daily basis and he would say, mama, what doing? Right. And with a little gesture and everything. And, and I would usually talk to him for a second and I would pick him up and put him on my lap and we'd sing a little song or do whatever. And he, he might rattle the mouse or whatever. Cause he was little, 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 this is before he was two, you know? And then I remember that there was a day that he came into the room and he said, mama doing, and I so distinctly remember thinking, where did the what go? There was a what in that sentence yesterday. Where did it go? Why isn't it there anymore? And the very next day I took him to the pediatrician because I was that kind of mom worried about everything, right? Take him to the pediatrician and she says, what are, why are you here? What is, what is, are you having an anxiety attack? And I said, probably. And what of it, <laughs> you know, but my child was talking in full sentences and now the what is gone. And she said, oh my gosh, he's a boy. Boys talk later and he's already talking. He's not even two yet. And wait, you know, he's talking in sentences. Now he'll be talking in paragraphs when he's two. You late in life mothers go home. And can I tell you that the little voice in my gut, the little thing down there went, nah, mm -mm, I don't think so. 
But here's the truth of it. I liked her story better than what my gut was saying, because my gut was saying something's going on and it's not right. And I didn't want to hear that story. So I said to it, shut up. I'm listening to her. She's the expert. Surely she would tell me if there was something I needed to worry about, right? And that eats at me all the time. And I, I know so many parents who, when I say that, say, oh, yes, that's, that's the truth of it, right? Because sometimes we see something and we, we kind of go, no. You know why? Because we want to bet on our child, We don't want to live in the place where something is really wrong. As much as people think we do, we don't. So I went home and more language went away. And eventually he, you know, would come into the room and he would say mama, but he wouldn't even say mama doing. And finally he got to the point where he would wander into the little closet area and he wouldn't talk to me at all. He would just spin. He would walk in a circle until he literally would fall down from dizziness, which would take him maybe 10 minutes. And sometimes he would make a grunting sound or uh, 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 as he would spin in the circle. And I thought, this isn't what I'm used to seeing with kids. And I'd been around kids. My husband had not been around a lot of kids. And I would say to him, don't you think it's odd? Don't you think something's going on? And he would say, no, he's fine. What are you talking about? So then I would pick up the phone and I would call all my best girlfriends who had kids. And I would go, don't you think something's wrong? No, Shannon, you know, that doctor told you you were needlessly worrying. We know that you're a worrier because I am right. It's my full-time second job is to worry. And so people would say that and I would go, right, right. But I knew it was wasn't right. I knew that it wasn't right and I didn't do anything about it. That's the thing that's hardest for me because in that period of time, we lost him incrementally, little piece by piece. I used to say that it was like we put him to bed at night and a thief would come in in the night and steal just a little piece of him, just enough so that I would notice, but nobody else would notice until it added up right? And he was starting to be aggressive and he was hitting and pushing other children. And, and, and the other moms, my friends would look at me like, what is wrong with you? And why isn't your children more, your child more behaved? So we started staying home and my life got smaller and smaller and smaller until this is the picture that Really, as I look back and I go, oh, look at how different those two pictures are only a few months apart. But whereas the first one, he's looking at the camera and totally face on this. We took him to see the Easter bunny and I kept saying, look at the camera, look at the camera, look at mommy, look at mommy, look at mommy. And he couldn't do it. He could not do it. He tried so hard. This is the closest that he can get. I remember exactly where I was standing when I took this picture. And I refer to this as riding a river in Egypt, denial, because I kept saying, no, no. My husband really thought that everything was okay because he didn't have much to compare it to. And it's your kid and you love your kid unconditionally. So what are you going to do? Right. But we were losing him by inches. And finally we got to the point when he had lost all words. He could still say, there were still like three words that he would occasionally say, and he would say them compulsively. Like he would say, dog, 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 for hours. 
while he would run in a circle. But here's the thing. He wasn't referring to a dog. He wasn't asking for a dog. He didn't know what a dog was. If you pointed to a dog, he didn't know what it was. So a lot of times we refer to him as being, for all intents and purposes, nonverbal. But he wasn't nonvocal. He could still make utterances. And that's important because, you know, whatever behavior you have happening, you can shape, right? So in that way, we were so lucky that he had so much language before he regressed into autism and that he retained the pathway to speech, that he could utter sounds and he could utter words. He just didn't know language anymore. And and that was something that we were going to have to learn by inches. So I always say, you know, even now, all these years later, because this this is me 17 years later, that I am able to sit here in front of you and have this conversation, and it's still emotional for me. It's still eats at me, um, that period of time between when, when I really started to notice that he was regressing and when we got help. And I always say, where are the freaking billboards? Why are, why are highways not littered with at least one in every town that says, here are the five most frequent symptoms of autism. If your child exhibits any of these, please call this 800 number for help. Where is this? It didn't exist when I needed it. And I, the fact is that really, truly, it doesn't exist now. People have tried to piece something together. I wish that the United States government, you know, they put together a committee so many years ago to, to look at autism and to create a task force. I don't really see that they've done much of anything. And here's something you could do, fellas. Uh, you know, and I know that there are women on the committee too, but fellas and women, here's something you could do. Cause this alone, if we say that early intervention is so important, why don't we have a billboard? I say this frequently. Somebody's going to listen to me eventually. Or someday I'm going to win the lottery. I firmly believe that. And I'm going to put up billboards and I'm going to staff an 800 number 24 hours because we need it. Because who do you call when you don't know who to call? Who? Who do you call? And when you're floating on a river in Egypt, denial. Who do you call? And I'll tell you something, I am very painfully aware of the fact that I am a white woman of enough privilege that I have a college education and I can speak. I have the ability to use my vocal cords and I feel no compunction about calling anyone. I will call up the president if I feel that it warrants it. And you know what? I should call Joe Biden this week uh, to ask him to fully fund IDEA. Thank you. I just remembered. I'm going to make a note to myself. Call Joe. Um, But I have called the White House before when I was uh, very, yeah, I was 17, 18 years old. And Ronald Reagan, this is how old I am. Ronald Reagan became president. And the student loan that I was going to school on under Jimmy Carter went poof under, under Ronald Reagan. And I called the White House and said, I need to speak to the president because he's done away with the loan that I was on that was allowing me as a middle-class family student to go to college. Uh, They did not put me through to Ron Reagan. Surprise, surprise, surprise. But what they did do is give me the phone number for my congressman who I called and who found me a different loan. And I learned then, you call people. You call people, right? So here I am, and I'm, I'm like, who do you call if you think that your child has autism, right? Uh, because eventually I got to the point where I, I was like, I, I, think, I think I better call somebody, right? But I didn't know who to call. And for me, 
who is used to calling people and has no fear about talking to anybody. It took me three days to figure out who to call in the state of California. Three days, nonstop, me picking up the phone. And I always say this, if it took me and I feel entitled to call anybody three days, how long does it take somebody who maybe English isn't their first language? Maybe they are in this country and do not have proper citizenship, and so they're afraid if I call somebody, what is this going to trigger? Right? How long does it take for them to find the person who can help them with their child? And you guys know, statistically, the average on this is two years. Two years lost looking for who do I call. And it can be longer than that. Many of you will write in and say, well, my child just got diagnosed at 14. And, and, and a lot of times people say, well, that's because your child is so high functioning, but that's not always the case. Some of these families will say to me, no, we, we thought when he was in kindergarten or she was in kindergarten and we asked people like who, what line should we stand in? Who should we ask? And they didn't get the right answer when they ask that person. A lot of us get the wrong answer from the first 12 people we talk to, right? We need to get better about this. This is part of why I've been doing a show for 13 years, because if you stumble across us here, I want you to know who you can call, and I want you to have somebody that you can say to somebody, if your friend, their child gets diagnosed and they go, I don't know what to do, that you can say, watch Autism Live. You know, talk to Dr. Grampichet, get Shannon's book, Let's, let me help you dig in. I want there to be something. It's not enough. But every day we try to do what we can. So I started on a process and, and found out that I needed to get my child looked at by a developmental pediatrician. I found out what the rules and the laws were in California about getting a diagnosis and then getting access to service. Uh, because, as my dear friend Lisa Ackerman from TACA uh, says, when autism doesn't mean game over, it means game on. What I discovered was, and I didn't know Lisa back then, man, do I wish I did. And I tell any families, you know, you should sign up for TACA. TACA is a really wonderful organization, and it's going to be a place that you can go and get answers where you can certainly ask questions and you're going to get answers. It's the biggest parent advocacy group that there is on the planet for autism. And Lisa Ackerman started it in her living room because she needed answers. And she said, am I the only one? And people showed up. So you can go to TACANow.org to be connected to TACA and find out all about what they do. They're going to be doing an hour here on the podcast-a-thon later on tonight. I think it's at 6 o'clock if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So, uh, eventually, you know, I, I get, I, I find out I got to get an appointment at that time. It was basically a developmental pediatrician. Now you can go to a clinical psychologist and they have clinics. I think it's just as hard now to get your child diagnosed because stop and think about it. If one in 36 kids is being diagnosed, the line is longer to get in line. And, and when I called and said, you know, when can I get the quickest appointment? And by the way, I had health insurance that included Included a developmental pediatrician that I, I called and said, I have concerns about autism. Can we get an autism screening? Yes. And my insurance was going to pay for it. There are people paying six, seven, ten thousand dollars for this. But but so I had a good. I wasn't going to have to pay for it. I think I had a $25 copay. Woohoo, right? And I said, when's the quickest appointment you can give me? And they said, Oh, our quickest appointment is in three months. 
And I remember thinking that that was horrible. And as you know, there are people waiting two years now. And there are people in other countries that are waiting forever, right? But we somehow get through those three months where I slowly lose my mind because now I'm completely upside down. I can't go anywhere. At that point, my child was, you know, he just, he was like a wild animal in that he, you know, if I went to touch him, he was constantly doing this to me to get away. If we asked him to do anything that he didn't want to do, like get in his car seat or whatever, he would bite, he would kick, he would hit. Um, and there was no, there was still utterances, but there was no communication, no sign that he understood what we were saying and, and absolutely nothing where he was communicating with us in any other way than through aggression. And I had bite marks up and down my arms. It's not the way you want to be. And by the way, I was hiding that because I didn't want, I didn't even want my husband to know because people were already looking at him. Cause remember he was shoving kids and, and they were looking at him like he was a monster. So I, I didn't want people to know. And if you are being injured by your child, please don't keep that to yourself. Please share that with other people so that you can get help. There is help for that. Aggression is not a symptom of autism. Let me say that again. Aggression is not a symptom of autism. However, it is a byproduct of not being able to communicate your needs. It absolutely is. So if you give the individual the ability to communicate their needs, that aggression goes away. Well documented. It's why I want to put iPads into kids' hands because then they don't have to hit, kick, bite. And then they have the ability to communicate their needs so that then they have the ability to learn and and say, I need this or I'm in pain, right? But in any case, we were in that cycle of that's how he was communicating. We went to the developmental pediatrician. She spent several hours with him and then said, yeah, it's autism. Uh, And I felt that ball sink. I knew that she was going to say that. I knew what it was, but I absolutely look at everything in my life as being either before that moment or after that moment. It is the moment, the definitive moment in my life, poof, either side of it. And I asked for hope in that moment. I I looked at this woman who had just spent all this time with my child and I said, what's his life going to be? Is he going to be okay? And uh, is he ever going to talk again? And, and I had been doing some research and I said, what about that AB, whatever? I didn't even know the name of it was ABA. And, um, and she said to me then what a lot of you say to me now, don't do ABA. ABA is torture. It'll torture him. And, and I said, but I hear that it helps him to speak. And she said, no, it's just parrot training. Um, they'll turn him into a robot. That's what they will do. And I'm with you. I, I'm like a good, caring parent. I don't want my child tortured, and I don't want my child turned into a robot. I want him to be his unique self. I don't want people coming in and changing who he is, right? So I was like, we are not doing that ABA thing. That was how I felt in that moment. I want you to look at those T-shirts that are in that picture. There's the pictures of the robots. Uh, My son is not a robot, but that's the robot that he drew that won a contest, and they put it on T-shirts. That's his robot when he was like five, six, and he drew it in 3D. 
Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. So he's not a robot. Uh, and as you'll find out, we did end up doing ABA, but we did a type of ABA that I fear is very rare in this environment today. Um, it's certainly not what a lot of people are talking about. It certainly wasn't what she was talking about with this, you know, he'll be terrorized thing. Uh, my son was not terrorized. If you know me at all, you know, I would never allow that. And I didn't just leave him. I had, we did our therapy at home cause that was the only place we had it. And there were monitors there where I watched it. I sat and watched the monitor until I, my eyes bled, you know, so we'll, we'll talk more about that. So anyway, so how did I get from saying I absolutely absolutely won't do ABA to getting to the point where we did do ABA. Well, we were in an early start program that uh, was more of a floor time program. And it was uh, the main reason why we're, we chose to do that was because we didn't want him terrorized. We, we had heard that his life was going to be very hard if we did ABA and we didn't want that. And everybody told us floor time was going to be so much kinder, friendly, or it's going to be child directed, except that wasn't our experience of it. Now, some of you will say to me, well, you had a bad floor time provider. I, that's in entirely possible. I make room for that. But when I tell you that we would go and there was a part of the thing where all the kids would play together and my son didn't know how to play with other kids. So it would always turn into that they would ask him to play monster. Uh, and he didn't know what that was. Oh, but uh, basically what it was is they would scream and run away from him. And he thought, oh, we're playing something. So he would run to catch up with them to play and they would run away from him because he was the monster. And these were other kids with developmental disabilities. And they allowed that. Yeah. Then they would leave all the parents out in the room where the kids were playing, the gym where they were playing, and they would take uh, the kids into a room. But eventually they, they made me and several other parents come in because my child couldn't do it. They would have the children sit in a circle and they would put on a, uh, a tape, a music tape, and they, they would all sing and sign the alphabet. My son couldn't do that. And so he, he would go to sit in the chair and he would get out of the chair and he would be over messing with whatever. And they would say, you have to get him to stay in the chair. Well, I couldn't get him to stay in the chair. So then they said, well, let's put a weighted vest on him. Okay. So they put the weighted vest on him and that didn't work. So then they put a weighted blanket over his legs. So now they got 40 pounds holding my child down. Didn't matter. He would bite you to get off the weighted blanket off of him so he could go and he would push other kids out of their chairs and, and, you you know, up to all kinds of mischief. And so then they said, well, let's put him in a five point harness therapy chair with the vest, with the blanket. And I, when they explained this to me, I said, what are you going to do next? Bolt him to the floor. And, and, and then they kind of looked at me like they were considering. And I said, guys, that was a joke. Why aren't we dealing with what is causing him to do that rather than just expecting that he can sit in the chair? It was horrifying. And if he was forced to sit in the chair and they were forcing him to sit in the chair, he would start screaming, kicking, biting. At one point, he turned the therapy chair over and it was heavy. It was like 40 pounds and was clawing to get to the door to get out. I now understand that it was a sensory nightmare for him, but nobody in our floor time program talked about that. But even then, he was getting ready to turn three and we were going to lose that floor time, floor time program and that was all we had. 
all we had. And so I didn't know what to do. And everybody was saying, in California, they'll fund ABA. Why aren't you doing ABA? And I said, I heard it's bad. I don't want it if it's bad. We're not doing it if it's bad. So there I was one night on our bedroom floor, rocking and praying on the bedroom floor. My husband was in the bed and I was rocking and praying and saying, please God help me. I can't be the parent that screws this up. I will not be the mom that lets him down. I don't know what to do for him. Show me a sign. Show me what to do. And if you show me what to do, I will do it. But please make it clear. And I promise if you help me to help my child, I will turn around and help whoever I can. Please don't let me mess this up. I Don't let this be our story. And it's going to be on me. If this goes wrong, it's going to be my fault. Because that's how I felt. Right? And... And I started to pray for a crystal ball. I said, please, God, send me a crystal ball so that I can look into the future and know because people have been talking about ABA. And I said, you know what? I would do ABA if I knew for sure that it wasn't going to harm his self-esteem, that it wasn't going to change who he was, that he would be okay, that no one would make him feel that he was less than. I, I would do it if I knew for sure that it was all those things. Please, can I just look into a crystal ball and see two years into the future? And then if, if I see a good outcome, I will jump and I will do this. Please. And I was rocking and praying and praying for this crystal ball of autism to show up. And, and I had one of those crushing moments as, you know, it was like 3.30 in the morning and where I realized, you know, I'm praying for something that doesn't exist. Crystal balls don't exist and God can't send me a crystal ball. Amazon's not delivering it. You know what I mean? So then I, I'm a problem solver. So I started thinking, what would be the equivalent of a crystal ball? What if... What if I could meet a kid who's two years older than my son, who two years ago wasn't speaking and engaging in all this behavior with a diagnosis of autism, but in the last two years, he's been having ABA therapy. If I could meet that kid, that would be like a crystal ball. And that filled me with so much hope that I was so excited that I could go to the bed for the first time in days. And... It's funny because I never stopped to think about how are you going to find that kid? But I know me, I probably would have put an ad in Craigslist saying, you know, mom looking for four-year-old boy with autism that I can observe, right? Can I stalk your child? Can I see your home movies? I want to know uh, how ABA is working in your home. And then, of course, they probably would have arrested me because it would have sounded all wrong. But I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning. Um, My day at that point was my husband and I would split and go in separate directions. He would go to work very early. I would be day mode with my son and I would take him to that early intervention, that floor time thing. And then later in the day we would switch and, uh, I would hand him off and then I would go to work. Now you guys know I have a a master's degree in theater. I used to be a college professor teaching theater. I was a director, a stand-up comedian, all of these things that you can't do when you're doing an early intervention for autism. Sorry, you can't. And I couldn't anyway. So I was working as a closet designer for closet world where I had a beeper. It was that long ago. I would come home, I would hand my son off. My beeper would go off. It would just give me an address and I would go to that address. They would show me their closet and I would measure it right there, then draw it up and then try to sell to them what I had drawn. Such was my life. 
and you know, you do what you have to do, right? To put food on the table and take care of your kid. Um, but I got up that morning sleep deprived, uh, but hopeful because I'm going to find this crystal ball of autism, this kid that's two years down the future. We go to the early intervention program and I get there and everybody's kind of looking at me funny and they pull me in a room while the kids are doing whatever. And I'm, you know, like what's happening. And they said, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to do private with your son, uh, in the future because the other parents have asked that your son not be included in, because uh, he's, you know, too aggressive and too disruptive. So let's just point out here that my son has now been kicked out of his early uh, group intervention because he was more severe than the other kids and he was preventing them from learning. This is a dark day at BlackRock, right? And I had that, you know, I, I was going to the ugly cry and I was trying so hard not to fall completely apart. Um, so, and you know how you're like, ah, and, and, and you know that when you are alone, you're just going to cry for hours and hours. Um, and, uh, oh, Joanny, I see that you regressed into autism too. We lost words, songs, and music. Uh, there was silence for one and a half years. Sending you a hug, girl. Uh, I know, I know what that looks like. But in that day, I, I thought, wow, I, I don't know that it gets much worse than this, that, that the autism community was kicking us out of their group saying, you can't be with our kids. There were kids in that group who had dual diagnosis too, that they had autism and Down syndrome, and my child couldn't be with those kids because he was on another echelon. Hurt, right? Hurt, stab right to the heart. So I somehow get through the session knowing it's going to be our last one. I go home, I hand off our kid and I'm just starting to blubber and cry and say to my husband, you won't believe what happened today and blah, blah, blah. And my beeper goes off. I got to go do a freaking closet. And I was so mad at the world, man. I was so mad. And I got into my car and, and you know how, when you're in that place where you feel want and lack, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving this old car away from our condo where our son doesn't have a place to play. And he looks like a vampire because I can't take him to the park. He runs off the field towards the cars and I can't keep up with them because I'm old, right? Um, and so I'm hating everybody. I'm looking at other people's cars going, you know, how, what did you do to deserve that car? I'll bet you have a child who's healthy and can speak too. I'm mad at everybody. And I go to where I have to do the closet. It's a beautiful neighborhood, not that far from where I live at all, like maybe 10 minutes. And they, it's a cul-de-sac and the, you know, sculpted yards. Clearly they have gardeners come and trim everything for them. Right. And I look at the house that I need to go to and it's, you can tell it's got this fenced in backyard and over the fence, you can see that they have a pirate ship in the backyard. Oh, don't even get me started on the pirate ship. Right. Cause I'm like, dang, how do people have that much privilege? And clearly they have a boy and my kid is into pirates. I don't have a backyard. I don't have a pirate ship and my kid can't talk. And I was mad at them. I just was mad at them. And I rang the doorbell with hate in my heart. And this man came to the door and he was one of those really happy people, you know, where I just didn't have time for a happy person right then. And he was like, welcome to our home. Come upstairs. We want you to redo the closet in our son's playroom. 
oh my gosh, my middle fingers so wanted to flip him off. Your son's playroom? My kid doesn't even have his own bedroom and your kid has a playroom? He shows me this gorgeous room with every toy known to man. It's stunning. Shows me the closet. He goes, it, you know, this is, this is his playroom and there's a rod for hanging. We just want shelves. This is going to be the easiest design job ever. All I have to do is measure it, draw it, drawing shelves is a straight line, sell it to Mr. Happy, and then I get to go home and cry and probably eat a full cheesecake because that's how I deal. You know, food, food is my go-to. Um, but, you know, I start to measure and I'm just oh, so mad at this guy. And he, Mr. Happy wants to chat. He's like, so do you have kids? I'm like, oh, don't go there, right? Now I've got two conversations going, one where I'm answering him, but the other where I'm telling him off, right? Yeah, I yes, I have a son. He's two and a half, and but in my head, I'm like, you know, my life isn't like yours, pal. And he's like, oh, does he go to daycare while you're here? And, and I'm like, no, he's home with his dad because I'm like, daycare? We just got kicked out of our autism program. Daycare is for privileged people, right? And it's just escalating, escalating, escalating. And finally, he asked me something, and I don't remember what it was. But I was like, dude, my life is not like yours. And I just turned around and snapped, and I said, my life isn't like yours because I don't have what you have. I have a son who was diagnosed with autism, which means all the things you have, I don't have. You have this picture of your son's going to go away to kindergarten, and it's going to be this happy moment with pictures. That's not the picture in my head. Are they even going to let him in? You know that someday he's going to you know, go off to college. I don't know if I have that. It's just a big question mark. You know that someday you're going to retire. Guess what? I probably don't ever get that because I'm going to be taking care of him his whole life. That's what my life looks like. So don't ask me if, if your life is like my life. And then I kind of paused after I read this guy, the riot act. And I thought, oh man, I am not going to make this closet sale. Right. And he looked at me and he said, your son has autism. And I said, yeah. And he said to me, wow, well, welcome to the club that you never thought you wanted to belong to. But once you're here, you'll find that it's filled with amazing people. And that was said to me by Peter Shepard, who is Logan Shepard's dad. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, my son has autism. This room that you're standing in, it's my son's ABA therapy room. And I said, what do you mean? How old is your son? And his son is almost exactly two years to the day older than my son. And I started rapid fire asking him questions because I realized that that thing that I had prayed for on my bedroom floor just hours before, that crystal ball, and I didn't know how I was going to meet this kid or how I was going to be able to really know what ABA th and which ABA therapy, suddenly... Through the grace of God, I am in the room of this boy's ABA therapy, and he is exactly what I asked for. Two years older, wasn't speaking, speaking now. And I thought, I better listen to this dad, whatever he says. And we talked for a little while, and I was asking him crazy questions. I was saying, so your son is doing ABA therapy. Is he okay? And he's like, okay, he's thriving. And I said, do they treat him nice? Nice. They're his giant playmates, and he has the best time. These people are part of our family now. And I, and I was like, and when he speaks, does he know what he's saying, or is, it, is he a robot? And, he was, and at that point, he went, you just have to meet my kid. 
<laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You need to meet my kid. He said, forget this closet. And you know, we never did the closet. I have so much shame about that. But he said, come downstairs. I'm calling my wife. He called his wife and said, you got to come home. We have a woman in our living room who needs to meet our kid. And I will never forget the moment that Logan Shepard ran into that room, this beautiful blonde haired little boy. He ran into the room and he jumped uh, and hugged his dad. And he said, and he pulled back, made beautiful eye contact. And he said, Hey dad, later on, do you want to play video games? And I stood there and I thought, whatever these people are doing, that's what we're going to do. Because if someday my son could look at my husband and say, Hey dad, later on, do you want to play video games? Whatever these people are doing. And this was a happy little boy, a thrilled, happy little boy. And I stayed and talked to the shepherds for hours. They gave me Christina Adams book. Christina Adams is going to be joining us uh, tomorrow morning. And her book is a real boy, her first book. And that book became my Bible. And it was all about how she started really good ABA services with her son. And I followed in the shepherd's footprints and I followed in Christina Adams footprints. And when I tell you something, these people saved our lives, but, but it was a level of ABA therapy that I fear that a lot of you are not getting. And it's why I made that promise on my bedroom floor, show me what to do, help me to help my child, and I will turn around and help whoever I can. That's why I come in here and I harangue you guys about good quality ABA, because I don't want you to do just any ABA. I want you to do the good stuff where your child is treated well and your child learns. And that means intensive with people who care and people who are about the individual and teaching them and not just about rote. This is my absolutely everything. I, I normally I have a picture of my son. I, I used to have a picture of him in his cap and gown when he graduated from high school with honors. Uh, but I like to preserve his anonymity now. But this is my life today. This is why this is important to me. He did graduate high school with honors. He was accepted at six different colleges, so he got his pick. Many where he was offered big amounts of money to go. He is currently a sophomore studying television and screen screenwriting at a college that has a really amazing program for exactly that. Uh, he has a summer job working with special needs individuals. He works at the Ed Asner Family Center. He wrote a book on, of poetry during COVID. How's that for not a robot? Uh, he has a very rich social life with tons of friends. He is absolutely hilarious. He is polite. He is a gentleman. He is hardworking. And he is this mom's pride and joy. And so I owe it to the, to you and to everybody else to be here at this table and to share with you things that I think can help you. So my friends, um, my, these are my five immediate secrets for success, but next I'm going to do the talk about my 10 tips for parents of young children. And then tonight I'm doing my 10 tips for parents of older children, but Listen, follow your gut. That is absolutely important. Get really good quality ABA and do it intensively. Follow the recipe for pie. Uh, so this is my, my pneumatic device to re- pneumonic device, not pneumatic. Uh, you got to follow the prescription, which is often more hours than you thought you were going to be doing. You have to be involved in the program and you need to use experts. Pie prescription, involvement, and experts. That's the recipe for success. And then I want you to celebrate absolutely everything, but especially your child. Love them exactly for who they are. We're not trying to change our children. We're 
just trying to give them skills. We're trying to help them to learn. Uh, that's all. Good ABA doesn't change who they fundamentally are at all. It's like teaching somebody Chinese. They're, they now they have they know Chinese, and so they know more. But it doesn't change the core of who they are. But prioritize your health and their health above all. Those are my five secrets for success. We got to take a short pause, and then we're going to come back, reload, and I'm going to give you my top ten tips for parents of younger children. If you have a child who's under the age of five, this is my all-time top ten. The things that you got to do to be able to be successful and keep the roof over your head and keep yourself sane and keep your family clocking along. So stick with us and we'll be back with more right after these messages. <laughs> 